mysterious disc pictures. Disc pics. Disc pics. <laughs> he said, Walter, disc send disc pics. That is a true freaking story. If that happened to me when I was 11 years old, I would be terrified. Are you sure it wasn't a dog? Don't uh, you go Blue Book era <laughs> Heineck on me, all right? I will not take that in my home. All right, you, this, this is too weird. You have to take your clothes off. <laughs> oh, I have a little note here. It says, wait for reactions. That didn't really work out. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. This, this is, is fiction, fiction and strange truth. Welcome back, everyone, to Fiction and Strange Truth. I am William, and with me is... Dustin. And... Steven. And I will be, once again, trying to convince them that uh, my crazy stories of truth are true and my fake ones are fake. It's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. You guys are going to be a little judgy and argumentative of these ones, so it's going to be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to it. (laughs) So jump in, whatever. And I'm going to be honest, the one that's true in this one, I fully support. So I'm going to be very argumentative. All right. The first story of the evening is... Bigfoot. (laughs) Not... Not quite Bigfoot, unfortunately. I wish. I need to do a Bigfoot story. I have a really good one I I can research. But I call it... The Rainier Discs. And that's Rainier like the mountain. Mm -hmm. Not the Rainier Discs. Like a disc that is emitting more rain than normal. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The normal raining discs. Yeah. It's more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Walter was an ordinary guy. He liked to hike and fish, making full use of the forest around his small town near Mount Rainier. At that time, in his early 30s, he had recently taken up the hobby of 35mm photography, regularly taking his camera with him during his long hikes through the dense forest. Approximately what year is this? This is... Oh, that's in actually the next sentence. Oh. One day in late spring, 1984... Okay. He was making his way along his favorite trail, roughly five miles from the trailhead, when something peculiar happened. He came to an abrupt halt as a sudden intense dizzy spell came over him. His vision narrowed to a dot and a dull hum began to assault his eardrums. Most puzzling was an overbearing urge to snap a photo of the forest just ahead of where he staggered to stand. Lifting his trusty Minolta to his narrowed but still clear eye, he focused and fired the shutter. No sooner did the camera confirm its operation with a quiet click before the dizzy spell dissipated. So he had the really bad dizzy spell and it it dropped off really quick once he took the picture. Assuming he fell victim to an acute form of migraine, Walter shrugged off his episode, placed his camera in its case, and strolled back down the trail intent on making it home to recuperate. The next day, in his makeshift darkroom, Walter was shocked to his core when his developed negatives and subsequent prints revealed a shining silver disc floating among the trees at the site of his supposed migraine. Somehow unbothered by the result of the bizarre episode deep in the forest, Walter went out again, this time on a different trail. Once again, he became dizzy and was compelled to photograph a nearby field of small boulders. Yielding to his urge again, ended his symptoms and produced another image of a perfect silver disc. Walter shared his photos with a friend, then a reporter, 
and before long, he was inundated with investigators and personalities from near and far bargaining for his story. Not a fan of the limelight, Walter rejected all who came calling, all except one young UFO researcher with an idea for an experiment and an expensive quadroscopic camera. So a quadroscopic camera is a camera that when you take a shutter, it goes click, 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 click on one frame of 35 millimeter or what have you. So there'll be four little frames either in a line or mm. in like a cube shape. Mm. So he got done with it um, and made everyone go away. But this one guy managed to grab him with an idea for an experiment involving the camera and his discs. So no one else goes out in the forest and gets dizzy. Well, I mean, maybe. So far, we only know Walter and his his mysterious disc pictures. Disc pics. Disc pics. <laughs> he said, hey, Walter, disc send disc pics. <laughs> so Minolta, what what is the full name of that brand? Is it like it's Minolta? Minolta, yeah. There's it's Japanese. There's actually about two. I think there's three Minoltas in that cabinet right there. The mind of Minolta was their <laughs> former slogan. I Not think Kodak was more prevalent in '84. <laughs> I honestly or have no Ni idea. I'm Nikon, just... I would say. <laughs> Canon. Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, uh, Minolta's are really common. They were kind of like a mid-tier brand, so a lot of people had them. More so, I would say, than like a really, really nice Nikon or Canon because you could you could head to like Radio Shack and get a Minolta. That was pretty good for yeah. about half the price of those. So, I mean, you can go to Walmart and get a paper Kodak, too. And you don't even have to develop it yourself. <laughs> you got poor Walter here just like taking his own time in his dark room and just, you know, <laughs> wasting his it, day. Take it to Sam's Club, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was 1984, so there were probably, I think, the drive through photo mats, right? So maybe Walter just likes huffing the fumes. <laughs> or does he? You know, Walter could be a pretty convincing guy. We don't well, know. Who doesn't <laughs> have their own dark room? You know, so it's so common. So let's see if the next story grabs you guys. This next one is called Dorothy's Dancing Lights. <laughs> you look so excited. <laughs> Dude, I've had an edible. I've had a good day. My buddies are in my house. I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. November 1974. Did I, was that the magic word? Was that the ghost? <laughs> <laughs> You're in the next episode. <laughs> We're doing aliens in this one. <laughs> November 1974. The cold autumn air of Vancouver, Canada, hung over the home of a seemingly average nuclear family. Dorothy, matriarch of the family, tended to the chores in the kitchen as her husband watched the television, enthralled by the sporting event being aired. Everything appeared to be winding down as a pleasant, ordinary night. Seemed to be. I alluded to something. <laughs> Something's off. <laughs> However, as she worked, she began to feel as though she was being watched. Peeking through the window, Dorothy spotted a diamond-shaped light floating high in the sky outside. She alerted her husband, who responded with the enthusiasm expected from a sports fan dedicated to their game. Undeterred, she made her way to a closet and retrieved a flashlight. Armed with as many lumens as a couple C batteries could muster, Dorothy stepped outside. People nowadays probably don't remember. It's probably people our, our age who remember like the flashlight that was heavy enough to kill somebody, and it only lit up about like four feet in front of you. And 
It we was had the like one two with feet the, long. the big brick battery. Not even like the D cell, like the huge square. Oh yeah, the nine yeah, or that hu- or no, it's like a twelve volt, that yeah. massive thing. Yeah. I don't know if they sell those anymore. You had the you had the giant ones, Dustin? Yeah. Like, was like four C batteries in a row. Yeah. <laughs> I remember getting hit with one of those when I was young, man. Those things were Jeez. insane. No wonder cops had them. You could probably kill a moose with that thing. <laughs> Back to Vancouver, Canada with Dorothy. Shining the light toward the radiant mystery above, she swiped the beam from side to side. To her astonishment, the glistening enigma mimicked the flashlight's path. Again and again, she drew a pattern in the air and the light followed. Excited, she retrieved her husband's 8mm film camera, ran outside, and began filming. Dorothy had successfully captured the light on film. Nice. No one's impressed by these things. Okay, this lady went and she got a camera and and got it all set up. This is, she had hand cranked this Yay, thing. Yay, Dorothy! <laughs> is this also 1984? Uh, this one's 74. Oh, okay. A, a decade uh, ahead, as Kennedy said it that way. It always pissed me off. Who did Kennedy? Kennedy. Oh yeah, president. yeah. <laughs> Kennedy, the, the president, not the not the dead ones, not the. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is. A, he's also a dead one, but the, he. In his moon speech, he says, in this decade. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? it's like, oh, you Boston guy. Fun fact, he's also a donut. Good Eddie Izzard moment. Yeah. (laughs) After developing the film, Dorothy reviewed her evidence. The light bounced and danced in the frame, held weightless by forces unknown. As film spooled from the reel, fluttering behind the lens of the projector, she noticed a flash. She paused the motor and slowly rewound the footage until she saw it. One single frame was populated with dazzling streaks and loops of light. Multiple colors spilled into each other, and all of this appeared to be double exposed over itself. The lights continued to appear on a regular basis, and Dorothy continued to film them. The unique effect generated by the ethereal flames in the sky, supplying image after beautiful image, one frame at a time. Some images even appeared to show figures standing in windows or blurry vistas. Years passed and she continued to film the sky, until one day she attempted to film a print of one of the frames. Bum bum bum! So those are the two stories. We have Walter and his magical floating oh. discs in the forest. What happened when she tried to film the frame? When she tried to film the frame, it did the exact same effect. So it would be constant oh. film. And then all of a sudden there would be one frame. It's a flash. But that flash wasn't of what she was filming. It was its own unique image and set of images over each other. Mm-hmm. And only when she filmed. No one else ever replicated this. Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing. Okay, so both stories... It's always something that happens to one person, right? Only Walter gets dizzy on the forest when he's out with his Minolta. <laughs> and only... You sound so angry about it. Like, only, what did Walter do to you? <laughs> you, you and your Minolta. <laughs> not by an American, by Kodak. But anyway. Um, and then Doris, Dor- Dorothy. 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 Um, it's, always, it's like just her experience, right? It's like her camera. Well, so. but she has it on film, film that was developed and maybe potentially was reviewed like by people, mm. like maybe potentially Walter's discs were. Yeah, but see, okay, so Walter has a dark room, right? So he, his, uh, the process is, uh, is, what do they call it? Chain of custody, right? He, the film 
Never left his possession. He developed it. He took the pictures. He developed it himself. According to Walter. According to Walter. Dorothy. Well, it's pretty easy to prove. Like, you call a, call a store. Like, hey, did, did some guy named Walter come by here <laughs> to the photo hut? But, like, Dorothy. Doris? No, Dorothy. Dorothy. She's like, it's, oh, no, she had to have it taken to a lab to have it developed, right? Like, yeah. Eight, eight millimeter? Yeah. 16 millimeter? 16. 35 millimeter? Or, no, it was an eight millimeter. 70 millimeter? Um, <laughs> that brilliant 72 millimeter. <laughs> Super Panavision in your home. Uh, yeah, like anything, a film is touchy. Like it, if you fuck up, you know, it's, it's done. Any, if you watch a movie, like a, a very poorly, William, I don't know if you're familiar with this genre of very poorly made <laughs> amateurish films. We sometimes call B movies, but you'll see flashes or things like in the film gate, like, get caught or flashes of, or things look like a completely different color temperature or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just washed out in one scene and three, you know, three angles in the same room at the same time in the same scene will have three different color temperatures because people don't know how to develop and process film correctly all the time. <laughs> so like I'm thinking something happened to Betty's do- do- Dor- Dorothy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Her last name was Crocker, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> Something happened to Mildred's film in the process <laughs> of uh, of developing it, but it is a coincidence. That's like one. It's like the same thing on different reels, perhaps at different times. Perhaps see that that surprises me though, because you know this is this is film we're talking about. This isn't like you know click click like on a still. Yeah, gets so it's one, developed differently. Something happened in one twenty fourth of a second. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's one frame out of a continuous reel. And we're talking about something this big, so to misdevelop one that size, you'd have to like have a guy with an eyedropper. Just <laughs> it would be Tyler Durden just going to that specific and frame and splicing the big, the big, you know what, into it. This is PG thirteen. You can say penis. <laughs> <laughs> His rod or Johnson. I don't know, Dustin. You want to take crack at it? Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so hit me with your best shot. <laughs> So uh, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. So Dorothy, when you say she tried to film a frame or was she like filming a print of a frame? So they, they took it to a film developer and had it enlarged onto like a, like, you know, like a poster. Okay. So she was filming that. All right. And then the poster did stuff. No, the, the new footage of the poster had effects. Okay. Okay. I'm thinking maybe she's just a little silly. (laughs) <laughs> and doesn't know how to use a camera. Dorothy gets into the Molson, gets a little silly. Because <laughs> I think you mentioned no one else was able to film it, right? So maybe it was just like the way she was holding the camera. Like I had a horrible habit when I was a kid. Whenever we went on vacation, my parents would give me uh, a plastic camera to take pictures of whatever I wanted. And then we'd get them developed. And they're all... Half covered by one of my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, or Steven was pointing at my, himself. My no parents actually it. wasted money on a Kodak 110 camera. <laughs> I wasn't even a disposable. Like, <laughs> Here you go, kid. And like, every picture is my thumb. Yeah. <laughs> Whale watching Hawaii and my thumb. My thumb is breaching the water for air. <laughs> so so your, vote on, your vote is on this being the true... Paranormal tale is is Dorothy's tale is. I'm not I'm not sure yet because I have nothing against the rainier discs. Like ethically, specifically. <laughs> yeah. No, you, I I'm not a fan of what they believe in, but I'm not. 
I'm not hard, you know, strongly opposed to it either. <laughs> I could take it or leave it. Well, guesses in, gentlemen. What are you saying? I'm going to say um, Dorothy's story is true because it involves other people. It involves witnesses. People had to help her develop that. Okay. That's a good point. Well, so far we've we've disagreed on every single one, so I'm, I'm going to keep that trend going. <laughs> are you sure? I thought you, and Dor- I thought you and Dorothy had a connection are with you, the figure it out. Are you tricking me now? I don't know. You're trying to trick me? Yeah, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Rainier Discs is the true story. Okay. Well, speaking of keeping things going, unfortunately, (laughs) the true story is Dorothy's Dancing Lights. Yay, I'm three for three. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm still proud. (laughs) Well, hey, you know what? Keeping a streak of any kind is pretty hard, so. What's the Simpsons joke? At least you tried. I think that's life's joke, right? Well, well, the Simpsons are. (laughs) That's true. Pretty keen observers of life. The story of Dorothy Isa is a truly interesting one in the world of paranormal experiences, mainly because Dorothy's foray into the interdimensional spirit alien cinematography has three extremely rare elements, longevity, consistency, and witnesses. But before I give away too much, let's start at the beginning. I also wrote the real name in this one. Did you notice? I didn't rename Dorothy. I, I, that was such an innocent, sweet name. I'm like, I'm sticking with it. Dorothy's too cool not to change her name. Which she really is. I actually, I'll I'll get into it as we go through, but I I love Dorothy. In 1974, on the afternoon of November 9th, Dorothy was working alone in her kitchen. It was about 4 p.m., and it had so far been a Saturday like any other. Making craft dinner? Yeah, craft dinner. That's true. They are in Vancouver. That's all craft dinner. Oh, boy. Okay, and there goes Canada. We lost Canada. (laughs) Uh, Canada ISP. Yeah, uh, ISP numbers. Yeah, it's... However, as she labored at her task, she had an odd urge to look out the kitchen window. As she did so, she noticed a small, diamond-shaped light floating in the sky that had begun to dance as if trying to get her attention. After a minute or so of this display, the light shot away into the evening sky, and Dorothy, although curious and surprised, went about her chores. Common multiple sighting story right there. Dorothy's is a lot like some that people, like, they see a thing, and they're like, oh, that's... Oh, look at the thing. And then the thing goes away. And then it's like a week later, like, well, that's really weird that the thing's back again. (laughs) (laughs) Later that same evening, a light bright enough to project through the curtains of a nearby window caught her attention and she went to investigate. As she peered up into the sky, she spotted another light wobbling and bouncing like the one she had watched earlier that day. And with this sighting came a message in Dorothy's mind. Don't be afraid, we are real. In response to this proclamation, Dorothy hurried to her closet, retrieved a flashlight, and returned to the window. She flipped the switch on the flashlight, calling out to the mysterious light, Okay, if you are real, do what I do with this flashlight now. And she proceeded to swing the flashlight side to side and up to down. The light followed her motions from its lofty position. After a minute or so of this, the light again darted away into the starry night. So this is a contact situation. She got a telepathic message that these things are indeed real, and she asked it to prove it, and it started following her flashlight around. So do you, do you think this light was a UFO of some sort? Uh, we're going to get a little into that with what, what we have about Dorothy. I don't know why I'm saying we. All of, all of the me's. We, all, we have all of it about Dorothy. No, I was just saying, like, if, if, if they were a UFO or some sort of craft, 
that were controlled by movements of light. Just imagine in L.A. on the freeway, everyone's headlights. And then <laughs> Suckers are just darting everywhere, yeah. crashing into buildings. <laughs> rush hour. Yeah, so we're going to have a little bit more about that, but they may be craft. They may just be lights getting through interventionally. During her nightly meditation, which this is real meditation, like calming meditation, um, not the meditation we're used to in Sedona where a bunch of people sit in the most public place possible <laughs> so that they can be seen meditating and then don't pay attention to their child as she busses her face open on the stairs because no one was watching her and she fell down concrete stairs. Oh, I got to do it here. That's <laughs> a real story. I'm guessing that's a real story. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, okay, good. we're in Sedona getting ice cream and no joke. This mom was like meditating with the guru guy and like this little girl tripped on a, on concrete stairs and just chin first straight into the ground. I don't. I feel bad for the kid, but... The kid's messing with my chi. I'm just, <laughs> right? just trying well, to take in this yeah. vortex. Have you guys been down there since uh, weed was legalized in AZ? No. I assume it's a lot the same. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> like everywhere you go, you, it's, you just smell weed and patchouli. All right. And sage. Look. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, we got to smoke these positive vibes and then smoke away the negative vibes. <laughs> During her nightly meditation... Blinding white light filled her room, and the silhouette of three figures faded into being. They stood only feet from her as she sat, awestruck by their appearance. For the last time that day, they spoke to her. What we have shown you is to prepare you for what we will show you. And then the light and the figures were gone. So that's a nice obscure message, right? I look forward to that. Yeah. Thanks for the episode. It's <laughs> like when you have a coworker, it's like, I'm going to send you an email. Yeah. <laughs> or or when they say, you know, hey, I'm going to shoot you an invite to a meeting so we can go over this, where the meeting could have been an email. This, <laughs> this could have been an email. Yeah. <laughs> After several occasions of seeing the incredible aerial enigmas, Dorothy decided to try to get through to Pat Burns, a radio host with a popular call-in show to see if anyone else would call in saying they had also witnessed this bizarre phenomena. Eventually, she was patched through to Pat's producer, Elaine Alexander, who said that she believed Mrs. Izot, but she would need to provide proof. At this instruction, Dorothy informed her husband that she would be borrowing his 8mm film camera, and at the next appearance of the lights, she stood outside and filmed them. So Dorothy's taking charge! This is what I kind of hinted at. I actually really like Dorothy. I got almost all of this information from pretty much the only documentary about this woman and what she was able to do with the camera. It's called Capturing the Light. I really highly suggest it. It's super low budget, but I highly suggest it because Dorothy, all, all the people who've seen Dorothy's stuff gets crazy, but Dorothy herself is one of the most convincing people because like she seriously is like that grandma you just expect to be like, oh, I didn't know your friends were over. Let me bake cookies. And she's like, she seems like the sweetest lady. And it, it there would be no reason for her to make this up. So she is very convincing to me. I, I believe Dorothy's story. After having the film developed, Dorothy used her projector to look back through the footage, astonished by her luck of having evidence of her amazing sighting. Because at this point, uh, no one in her family really believed that she was seeing anything. As the flickering images emitted by the projector played through, there was a bright flash from a single frame. Dorothy stopped the motor on the machine and fed back through the frames slowly as to not miss what caught her eye. Then her jaw dropped. Before her was an extraordinary display of color and form, 
Ribbons of blue, orange, and green looped through each other, speckled with flares of the same colors. It was as if someone had managed to hold that single frame in time and expose it to several motions from color-filtered flashlights, then somehow copy the image in different colors and expose it again on top of itself again and again. It was pretty crazy, that first image. And uh, the documentary shows that actual image, and it is insane. Oh, I have a little note here. It says, wait for reactions. That didn't really <laughs> work out. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I literally have that in there. space. It says, wait for reactions. <laughs> I thought I must have been so freaking proud of my description of these photos. All, all that was going through my mind was like, well, they just literally described how to recreate this video. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, I wrote this <laughs> for one. And there's actually some science behind why you can't do that, or at least why it would be near insane to do that on a single frame of, of film. After viewing the footage and seeing the blast of ghostly colors from a single frame, Elaine reached out to Dr. J. Allen Hynek, my UFO granddad. Uh, J. Allen Hynek, we discussed him a little bit in one of the other episodes, but you know, he is the Project Blue Book guy who was sent out to be like, hey, UFOs are fake. Don't worry about it. And then came back and became like the head UFO guy ever because he's like, UFOs are f***ing real. Yeah. <laughs> and so. then in the time of COVID, they're like, we got aliens. Everyone's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it, it, it just worked out, right? We're all inside and all of a sudden there's all these UFOs. No, I, I'm, I'm indifferent to the Tic Tac footage. She called him Dr. J. Allen Hynek, my UFO granddad, and he happily became involved. Hynek reviewed her footage, sent her camera to Professor Jameson of University of Chicago to check for tampering, and eventually supplied Dorothy with two more cameras. So two more 8mm film cameras of different types. They weren't all like the same camera. Uh, leaving her with the task of switching between each camera one at a time during her encounters. So she would film each encounter a little bit of it with each of these three cameras, or four cameras, or yeah, three cameras. Which is a little bit of a feat, because we're talking like battery-operated, 8mm, like trigger, like heavy-ass cameras. So how many encounters like, did she have total? I'll have to look up maybe how many she had, but she filmed on a regular basis from 1974 until 2021. Um, bless her heart, we lost Dorothy this year. Oh, mm. rip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There was innumerable image pulled as single frames from the over 30,000 feet of 8mm film featuring these unknowable objects. So she has 30,000 feet that is sparsed with these little just flashes of images and color. It's pretty crazy. Considering each reel, I think, is a couple hundred... I will have to look that up. I should have looked that up. <laughs> but there is, a, there is a ton of film on each reel. But depending on, you know, what film, you know, what reels you buy, and I'm assuming there was like different lengths you could buy, and I'm assuming there's limitations because these are 8 millimeter hand cameras. So there's only, you know, so much you can do with those. So this is insane, 30,000 feet. Her images and film have been reviewed by John Tanner, operations manager of the Van Vancouver Planetarium and Space Center, Craig Keefe, a cinematographer, as well as Stephen Geigen, or Geigen, I don't know how to pronounce that, but it was also um, studied by Stephen Geigen, a film producer and designer. 
Others have witnessed the lights not only as single craft, but as ornamentation on a vast Independence Day-esque mothership, like big round disc. They actually do have some of Dorothy's footage in the documentary of that. And it is, it's like a lined disc. You can see like about three quarters of it. And you can see like a bar of lights going toward like the center, almost like the bottom of the freaking Independence Day little blow blow up ships. It's pretty insane because other people did see this too. So you had people seeing these vast, vast arrays of lights while Dorothy's filming it. And then while Dorothy's sitting there filming it, her footage gets these single frames. And to top off everything, filming printed copies of the frames resulted in the same uncanny single frame imagery when you filmed it. She has managed to catalog images such as the color storms described before, vast unknown vistas, odd geometric craft, faces, figures in windows, and even her own name written by a streak of light running through the frame. No one has been able to duplicate the seemingly impossible effect to this day without digital manipulation or professional film editing equipment. The most mystifying fact being that the footage itself shows no gap in time as it would if the film was stopped, exposed on one frame, and then returned to its previous motion. You know, if you're filming something and you just you freeze a frame and you super expose one frame and you start filming again, there's going to be like a beep, you know, there's going to be like a time sink where what you had in between and what happened to it. And that's not in Dorothy's. So if she's moving the camera left to right across the landscape, it's perfect. Just one twenty-fourth, a little spark of light and it's there. So let's just assume Dorothy was trying to fake this, right? You're talking about like, you know, housewife, <laughs> Vancouver lady, just like, oh, I figured out how to super quickly stop single frames. And instead of, you know, just having a hobby, she's like, I'm seeing UFOs and getting space messages. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't seem right. That's why I'm, I'm very convinced by by Dorothy. I mean, she there were people standing with her while she used the three cameras. Her her daughter and her son, her husband were, you know, with her when she filmed these things. The camera ran like the camera. And if someone else used it, it wouldn't do it. It's only if Dorothy used it and there's no way she could have tampered with it or somehow sliced it in. It was there exposed. It's insane. Why are you guys not so excited about this? <laughs> this is like one of the most fascinating stories ever because there's there's like mechanics involved. I just I think it's hilarious that they chose to spell out Dorothy for her. <laughs> like <laughs> was it in cursive? Because if it was, then they're not you know, modern aliens. It it was. It was in like hand script. Yeah. It very it, it was pretty clear though. Like it was a little wobbly because, you know, she's moving. I'm assuming that's where the, they get a little bit of streaking, but it's very clearly her name written, which to me is a little kind of eh, maybe, but the mechanics of how the camera works and to get a single frame super exposed like that without interrupting time or splicing, you know, that's that's when I start to believe it. Cause there's there's nothing she could have done. This is you don't get UFO stories like this. Most of them are like a blurry picture or a story. I, I would like seeing the documentary or at least seeing the footage. It's uh, there's a ton of the footage in the documentary and it is on Prime for free. Uh, it's called Capturing the Light 2008. It's as if the film itself had been impressed by some force that was not affected by our space time. And that, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> except for this one's real, so it's ba 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 ba, more trumpety. 
so yeah, so that's the story of Dorothy Isaac. So what are your guys's thoughts? This one, I'm, I'm gonna, I might get a little argumentative with this one because I, you know, I am so convinced by this one. It's really, really sad that uh, Dorothy passed this year because uh, just by what's in the documentary, she seemed very reachable. I feel like maybe I could have had one of you guys like go through Facebook and find her and I might have been able to like interview her. <laughs> so it's, it's sad we lost her this year, but I would have loved to have just heard her story, you know, firsthand. What'd you guys, Steven? <laughs> There's a great video out there by a random guy talking about how you disprove the moon landing conspiracy theories by examining the fact that the technology existed in 1969 to land people on the moon and return them home, but the technology ah, did... Zelda. Shush, Zelda. I'm talking. <laughs> the technology did not exist to fake it, believably, because we did not have videotape. We didn't have slow motion. You know, we didn't have playback and it would have been you know miles and miles in order to do to fake a three-hour live broadcast from the moon you would have to have miles and miles and miles of perfect pristine untouched film yeah played back at one-third speed anyway so examining the technology of the film you know like you can't have you have this frame you can't have there's nothing before or after it you know that that lends a lot of you know credibility to the story that she's not just some batshit crazy <laughs> old old lady you know whose husband just wants to watch the hockey game <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like so i got you a little bit with this one hmm. i i got no one thought i have another skeptic here with me you won't believe me that's true <laughs> yeah what's what's your opinion of dorothy sweet sweet dorothy it's uh, it's hard to say anything definitive without uh seeing the footage but some of some of the details just kind of make me laugh, like spelling out Dorothy, like they could write literally anything in the sky, be like peace, or like uh, you're all gonna be murdered. <laughs> but they're, instead, they're just like Dorothy. <laughs> yeah. I'm still getting like a you know in South Park where they make the kids think the whale is talking because it's just two dumbasses on the PA. Yeah, I still kind of think it could be that like it's people f-ing around. See, but but the there were people who loaded the film for her, took yeah. the can, took the film out for her, and they had different brands of camera. I'm sure from 1974 to last year or to this year, she used different technologies. Uh, I that wasn't the in the camera. documentary, but um, yeah. So I, I don't know if she did try she like a 35 millimeter camera, yeah, a digital camera, VHSC tape, and yeah, a, you know, a memory stick camera, yeah, Sony memory stick. So I don't I don't know about that. They didn't cover that in the documentary. Did, so, she, did she have eyewitnesses at at any of these filmings? Oh yeah, um, her family saw the edge of the massive spaceship. Her daughter and her son were there. Her husband was there for some of them because he he did not believe her at all. He even says that in the documentary. He's like, I thought she was crazy. Pretty much, he doesn't say that straight out, but that's kind of what it, sounded, it seemed like. But he started seeing what she was filming. He saw the lights outside. There's even an appearance of one of the lights in the documentary. Like while they were filming the documentary hmm. and uh, there, there's more I took off from the story. Cause I, I didn't want to make like the retelling too long, but Dorothy was having mental communication with these aliens for a while. You know, they, they said the common alien thing of like humans are kind of messing stuff up. Please stop. We won't let you into our, you know, magical space union of peace and love. Cause you're just kind of dicks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, why do you guys kill each other? Yeah, that's why, rude. Why do you let some of your people starve and 
yeah, I can see how Earth is a trash planet for aliens, you know. Yeah, that maybe that answers your question about why they only wrote Dorothy. They're like, well, that, we're doing this. Yeah, they're they're too <laughs> dumb to understand anything but their own names. They're like Pokemon. Mm-hmm. That just put it like a, like I'm not picking on Dorothy. I do because I do really love her, but I just have this image of my mind image in my mind of like she's like, what do you want from us? How can we fix our planet? How can we how can we, how can we bring peace to our species? Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're, aw. The dumb aliens in Battlefield Earth are like, rats are their food. Yeah. Because they're starving and catching a rat. And <laughs> this is what they eat. <laughs> so they're trying to force feed them a rat. Yeah. I think the dumbest alien in that one is John Travolta. Oh! <laughs> yeah, Sorry, it's a, a terrible little, movie. It's like, yeah, they got to deal with this low IQ bipedal primate. It's like, your name is Dorothy. Yeah. Your name is Dorothy. <laughs> or or maybe they're trying to tell the rest of us that we should live like Dorothy. Mm. Oh, like she was the example. I you know what? I will I will stand behind that she seemed like a sweet lady. <laughs> if I could be as as sweet as Dorothy. This is probably gonna come back to bite me. Maybe someone's gonna be like, Dorothy turned out to be a horrible yeah. person. <laughs> no one showed up to Dor- her funeral. <laughs> Dorothy was dealing fentanyl. <laughs> <laughs> Not even the aliens showed up to her funeral. Yeah. <laughs> So it looks like I did manage to sway you guys a little bit with this one, which I do really, really like. I told you, everyone out there, I would start to make headway on these skeptics. So thank you for joining us for Fiction and Strange Truth. We do have an email now. You can now email us at fictiontruthpodcast at podcast.com. That is the word fiction, the word truth, and then podcast at gmail.com. We don't have any social media yet. That'll probably be coming maybe later. That's at gmail.com. At gmail.com. The first time you said it, you said at podcast.com. Did I? Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, did we get that domain? Sweet. (laughs) Surprisingly (laughs) cheap. Just available. (laughs) We're the only podcast on podcast.com. All your podcasts are now belong to us. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, sorry, Greg, myself. Got to. (laughs) <laughs> to, to correct myself, yes, it is fiction truth podcast at gmail.com or message us through Anchor. You can leave us voice mes- messages through Anchor and I can pick those up. Uh, anyway, uh, have fun out there, everybody. Dustin, I will flip you the rest of the way one day. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely interested in this documentary. Steven, I will flip you one of these days. Flip you, flip it for real. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Flip it up, slap it, suck it up. <laughs>